Welcome to an analytical edition of Canton Bound, the NFL half of our Campus to Canton podcast. As always, I'm Colin, and tonight, surprise, surprise, Austin is the one who's on vacation this week. Uh, So I'm joined by a very special guest. He is the first person that we brought on to join the Campus to Canton family, somebody we've been meaning to get on here for a while, uh, Mr. Chris Moxley. Chris, how's it going, man? Doing okay. How about yourself? Excited to be here. Uh, I'm excited to have you on. Um, you know, I, I Austin gave me a lot of shit for for taking vacations, and you know, now now here he goes. He's off and away. So you know, I, I couldn't have picked a better guest here to join. And you know, he joked with me about somebody stealing my chair. I think it's more likely that you steal his chair than anybody else uh, would have stolen mine. Yeah, you know, you you're putting the show on his back, so he better watch out. <laughs> Right. Thank you. I appreciate that. And I appreciate you, uh, you always sticking up for me on Debbie debate and, you know, recognizing some of the, uh, some of the takes that I have as well on there that, you know, maybe don't correctly get attributed to me at times. Can't let Austin steal everything from you. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. Um, so, uh, this, this podcast is part of the fantasy points media group, uh, along with a ton of other great pods, including the true North fantasy podcast, the play to win podcast, Dynasty Happy Hour, the Injury Prone Podcast with Dr. Edwin Porras, Dynasty Vipers, The Smoke Show, and the Fantasy Points Podcast. Uh, you can follow all of them on Twitter at Fantasy Points Live, um, Points PTS, or check out the Friday drops that, that recap the whole week in the Fantasy Points Media Group. Um, so we'll uh, we'll jump right in here into some news. And this is a, a player that I always was a big fan of. Um, Sean McCoy, uh, came out and he said, he's not, uh, he was contemplating retirement, but he is now looking to make a comeback here. Um, always had a soft spot for LaShawn McCoy, um, because he is from Pennsylvania, from central PA. Um, and he actually worked out one time at a, at the college that I went to my freshman year. I saw him working out in there and he was like, just chucking like 45 pound plates like it during sit-ups and just heaving these things like 20 yards it was insane to watch um but you know my soft spot aside uh do we does this impact anything at all fantasy wise or do we think he's pretty much washed he's dust <laughs> <laughs> I, I also like to McCoy, but he's dust. oh man yeah cold shower chris moxley <laughs> no i think that's um I think that's very fair. I don't. I don't think anybody's really expected too much from him here. Um, you know, great career, more than eleven hundred yards in his career. Um, he was on the last two Super Bowl winning rosters. Fun fact: uh, he was on the Chiefs and Tampa last year. Then, um, but yeah, I think he's he should probably hang it up. Or, or you know, if he wants to go after another ring, you know, he can, you know, he can go visit Kansas City again, Tampa that's about all I got for, for playoff contender or for Super Bowl contenders there. Um, I think those are still the two favorites there, but, and I can't think of any backfield where he'd be relevant at all. <laughs> but uh, off of the sentimental side here, uh, we'll move into something that's actually a little bit more fantasy relevant. Um, Alan Robinson and Chris Godwin um, did not sign extensions today 
before the deadline. Uh, so they will be playing the entire year on the franchise tag. Um, an article by uh, NFL.com. I was talking a little bit about this um, in advance of the deadline. Uh, and they mentioned that Allen Robinson wants to be paid like a top tier wide receiver, which makes a ton of sense because I think he is a top tier wide receiver. Um, I like him in Chicago, but there's some other places that I think I would like to see him go. Uh, I've talked a lot about Allen Robinson here this offseason, so I'm going to kick this one over here to you. Um, you know, where's a place that you'd like to see Robinson go? He, I think he can be a lot of places, right? He's a very dynamic wide receiver. He runs great routes. He's great at contested catches. He's big. Um, he's really like that prototypical alpha. So he can really lead any wide receiver room, right? Um, there was talk, I think, of him maybe wanting to be in Green Bay at one point. Um, there was maybe talk of him, you know, being a secondary wide receiver on some teams. I think he could go anywhere and command the target share that he deserves. I'm not sure he'll get the same 154 targets he saw last year in uh chicago but i mean i i i'd be happy if he stayed as well right i think justin fields is a good fit for him and i think that they could do like really solid things but i think there are a couple places that he could go and really excel maybe the patriots you know there there are a lot of options for Allen robinson and he will find a lot of suitors if he hits free agency next year you're breaking my heart with the patriots there um because, you know, if the Sean McCoy is a soft spot in my heart, so it's Allen Robinson and Godwin, you know, both Penn State guys. Um, but, yeah, I think that that would be a really good spot to stay in Chicago and grow with Justin Fields. Um, at Justin Fields is by far not even remotely close, the best quarterback he's ever played with. Even if Andy Dalton wins the job this year uh, and starts week one, I still think Andy Dalton's probably the best quarterback he's ever played with. So, you know, he can stay, he could put up a good year this year with whoever he has and then stay and grow with fields or chase some money in, uh, in free agency. But like you said, I think wherever he goes, he's one of those guys that is just going to command pretty much the same target share. He's going to be the number one in that room. And I, I mean, I think that he's always going to be a like borderline wide receiver one wide receiver two for fantasy, but He's always one of those guys, too, that's a little bit underrated. But if you're looking to buy him this, you know, I, I would go after him now because I think he's going to have a big year and I could see him going somewhere wide open. You know, you know, obviously Green Bay would be huge, especially if Devontae Adams leaves, you know, after after this past year, like like he's been hinting that he may do. You know, I think that would be huge for him there, too. But uh, with Godwin also not signing the uh extension here before the deadline he's going to play out on the tag as well um do we like godwin in tampa bay and if not where where should he go he's okay in tampa bay i think his upside is extremely limited right mike evans is fantastic antonio brown caught fire at the end of last year he was he was fantastic um Gronk is still there, and I think he'll command some targets. They they brought in Gio Bernard. It's not a very friendly situation for Godwin, even though I think he's a great wide receiver. He'll he'll play on the tag, and Tampa probably has some money issues coming up soon. So whether or not that means signing Godwin long term is in their plans, I'm not sure. I think he is. I'm not quite sure he's an alpha either. Um, he doesn't have quite the same prototypical alpha profile, but. I think he can go and command targets because I still think he's a good wide receiver. 
Whether or not that means he uh, replicates what he did two years ago, I don't know if we'll ever see that happen again. But I do think he, you know, he can maintain top twelve, top fifteen wide receiver in the status in the league, and he's still young. Yeah, I mean, still only twenty five. Um, you know, and I think you're right. I think that you know twenty that twenty nineteen year, um, you know, his efficiencies were just off the charts that year. Uh, I don't know if we're going to see something like that again, but that year he he saw 121 targets, which is I think that is I don't think that's necessarily his ceiling. That's probably in the uh, in the upper end of his outcomes, um, pr- pretty much wherever he goes. Because I think he has the potential to be a number one wide receiver. I don't think that's necessarily his best role. He's much more of a versatile wide receiver where he can play any position. But I don't think X is is his best. Uh, I think he would do best with a another complementary piece, um, a place that I think he would just go insane in would be uh, Arizona. I think putting him in that offense, pairing him with DeAndre Hopkins with a, with an X there, you know, a true number one wide receiver there. I think that would be incredible. And they don't really have. I mean, they have Christian Kirk. Um, pretty sure he's going to be a free agent at the end of the year. Anyway, they did bring in Rondale Moore, but Rondale Moore is more of like a, a Swiss army knife. You know, they're going to use him in a number of different ways. Like Godwin would truly be, you know, able to command, I think a pretty significant target share there, or, you know, obviously I think that any, any, anywhere that, that he could go, I think he would be fine, but I would like to see him in Kansas city as well. Um, but who, you know, who yeah. want to be in Kansas City? That's that's the thing. You know, you want any receiver to be in Kansas City there too. But you know, I, I think that I, I personally I would like to see him go there. But you know, um, so I think that he's another guy too that is going to be somebody that you should acquire this year. But I don't think you want to do it at the beginning of the year because I think his he is probably going to decline a little bit because, like you said, that's a there's a lot of mouths to feed in that Kansas city offense. And I know that's a cliche, but there are, you know, there, there truly are a lot of options in that offense and it's going to be tough to, to have it go around. Um, you know, I talked a lot with uh, Brandon Hay about, about Godwin and Evans and, and that situation. And I've come down a little bit on him, but I still think the talent wins out. So I still think he's going to be a, you know, rock solid fantasy asset for you at least this year. Um, we'll move into some running back news though. Um, Damian Harris, uh, was, is, has been the clear cut RB one for the Pats, uh, all off season here. Um, and that's coming from, uh, ESPN, uh, you know, one of their blogs, uh, but it was Mike, um, Reese. I I can't remember how to say his name, but he's like a very plugged in new England reporter. Who's been saying that Damian Harris is a clear cut RB one there. And, uh, the Patriots run at one of the highest rates of any team in the league. And, you know, I think that that's going to continue again this year, whether they have Cam or whether they're breaking in a rookie QB and Mac Jones. Um, so do we want Damian Harris here for fantasy? Is he a little bit undervalued right now? Maybe. I, I think that comes down to whether or not we see Cam or, or Mac Jones start. Um, when he played last year with Cam, Cam had 21 rushes inside the five. Damian Harris had three. So that's not really a conducive situation, even if he's the lead guy. I mean, he led the team in in red zone attempts um, among running backs, but he didn't really pay off in terms of production. What an RB1 means in New England's offense, 
I'm not sure either. They still brought back James White. They have J.J. Taylor, who they seem to really like as well. Um, Sony Michelle's still there. He's probably a cut candidate. I don't know what his ceiling is, but for him to reach it, Mac Jones needs to be involved. So I'm interested in acquiring him at some sort of discount, but I'm not sure I'm going to get that with the positive buzz coming out, right? Now, at least right now. Yeah, I, I think that he is was underrated earlier in the offseason. Uh, but I think as this news has started to trickle out uh, a little bit more, I think he's going to start to move up into that area where he's just starts to become overvalued. Cause like, I think right now um, I don't have the ADP pulled up in front of me. Uh, I'm working on that one right now, but I think he's probably going in the like, um, he's probably going in like the sixth round and that's that like kind of running back dead zone. So as people start to go, as those top tier running backs go off the board, uh, you're going to see people start to reach on that next group down. And I have no idea why the uh, DLF ADP isn't pulling up for me here. So I don't have it exactly, but I imagine he's in that six, seven around range. And then it's just going to start creeping up because running backs always tend to do that, especially as the drum beat starts to beat louder during the off season. Yeah. I think he's a guy that you, if he starts rising in ADP, you pretty much have to stay away from him. He's uh he's just got, he's just too risky. Yeah. Yeah. I want him where he's at now. Like I'm, I'm good with him in the, uh, you know, the six, seven round range as you know, my hopefully RB three, if he's my RB two, I'm a little bit worried about my team. So, so his, his current ADP is in the 12th round of dynasty Superflex startups. Oh, 12th round. So that's, okay. that's palatable. Where that's, he's going, yeah. But the buzz is not going to keep it that way. No, no. Like I said, maybe he'll, he'll probably start to reach up into that six, seven round range. Yep. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. Um, so yeah. I wish I had been able to pull that one up, but thank you for, for fact checking me there. Mr. Tony Reale. Uh, always on the uh, the Devi debate fact checking. If you guys don't uh, don't listen to Devi debate and you listen to this, or you listen to this when you don't listen to Devi debate, um, there you definitely should fix that. But you guys know Mox is always the one at the end who corrects stats, and I've been pining to get you on here to do that for us as well because Austin and I are, are just as bad as Austin Felix and Matt are. Oh, well, I gotta listen to Austin do it once a week already. Yeah, uh, I mean, I have to deal with him twice a week. I wouldn't wish that on anybody else. So that's a good point. I'll uh, I'll spare you from that one. We'll send him to you at the end, maybe, or or you can uh, you can just call us out on Twitter when we make any obvious mistakes. Uh, sounds good. <laughs> um, then the last bit of news here is uh, Chris Bark or Chris Barkley. Wow. Um, <laughs> Saquon Barkley still has no timetable for return. Um, he went on the Rich Eisen show uh, and said that he's still taking it day by day and he doesn't have a specific timetable in mind. I've brought up this story once before in the offseason here as well, but you know, get as we are probably like two, two weeks away, I don't have the exact date, but it's like about two, two weeks away, three weeks away from the start of training camp. Is it time to start panicking on Barkley here for this year, for this year? I am staying far away from Barkley, at least at the start of the season. Uh, you, you know, the compensation injuries are well documented for people who really have the knee, the knee injuries and um, especially with ACL tears. But there's a lot of risk with his profile 
in, in general. He, you know, he hasn't been super efficient to begin with, but we don't know what that offense is going to look like. I have questions about what his usage will look like. They brought in Devontae Booker and they brought him in for a lot of guaranteed money. They guaranteed him four million over two years. And that's that's more than Detroit guaranteed Jamal Williams. I I, I think that's they don't sign him to that if they're a hundred percent confident in Barkley starting out the season. So if I have Barkley, I'm willing to be patient with him, but I'm not targeting him in seasonal drafts, at least not until maybe pick four or five. I, there are a couple of running backs I would have over him. Okay. I mean, obviously what McCaffrey, uh, Cook, Kamara, anybody else you'd have over him there for a redraft? I might take Kelsey over him. Might take a wide receiver, might take a wide receiver over him. It, it really depends. I, and I'm a big fan of Barkley too. I, mm. I think the writing on the wall, the reports that we've heard out of camp, it, there are concerns. Yeah, I'm I'm with you. I'm starting to get a little bit concerned there as well. Um, I I only play in one redraft league now, and it's the you know same redraft league that I've been playing in since like my freshman year of high school. Um, so at this point, it's been thir- thirteen years, about roughly roughly about 13 years. So that's the only redraft league that I play in. And it's just with a, you know, a bunch of high school friends, but I, uh, I will probably be avoiding him in that as well. Uh, but I have had some startups here this off season and I, I have not taken him anywhere either. Um, I want CMC or Jonathan Taylor, or I typically wait till round three, four to take one of the other running backs that are hanging out around there. Um, but we'll uh, we'll hop out of the the news segment here. Um, still in a little bit of the dead period, but it's starting to pick up. So hopefully, you know, we can get some some news that we haven't talked about lately. Because I know we talked Barkley, Robinson, Godwin before in the past. Uh, but we'll get into the meat of the show here. And you know, anybody who knows you knows your work. Uh, which you know, if you're not following Chris Moxley at Chris Moxley nineteen on Twitter. Uh, always has some great tweets, whether they are analytics based or whether they are throwing some shade at Austin Felix or Matt or myself. Um, you know, he's anybody who follows you, you, you know, knows you're, you're more of an analytics guy. Um, you know, you, you, you kind of, you have a good marriage of the two. I like your process. Um, but definitely a little bit more on the analytics side. So I wanted to go with a, at a analytics topic here, because Austin and I are certainly not, experts when it comes to that we're both definitely film guys um so we're going to talk some regression candidates here uh, both negative and positive um for the upcoming year here and uh we'll start off with the negative ones uh chris who is a quarterback that you think is in line for some negative regression this year so i'm worried about justin herbert this year and i'm a little bit worried about him long term in dynasty as well he's been propped up to a top five he's going top five six in dynasty startups I think he'll regress for a handful of reasons. So um, he had a below average completion percentage over expectation. Uh, it was 19th. And that long-term, that's the single most predictive metric in determining what quarterback success looks like. It matters because, you know, it shows how quarterback fared on a pass attempt compared to like what the true expectation or average for that pass attempt is. He was below average. He had a 57% completion percentage under pressure, according to um, Eric Eager, PFF. And in terms of stable and predictive metrics and what we really look for, really look for long-term, he was below the 55th percentile in clean pocket grade 
very troubling. First and second down passing grade, no play action grade, at or below the line of scrimmage grade, and avoiding negative plays grade. In terms of all the predictive metrics, he was below 55th percentile in almost all of them. And that's from Steve Palazzo, also PFF. Justin Herbert put up a great raw counting stat season on very poor peripheral metrics. He's a guy that I think has the potential to really regress, um, especially this season and possibly long-term based on where his value is currently at. I'm really glad to hear you say that as well. Um, Justin Herbert is a guy that I, I liked coming out. I didn't love him. He was my QB three behind Tua and Burrow. And, you know, I I didn't end up with him anywhere. I ha- do not have him anywhere because I wasn't on him as a rookie. And like you said, he's his ADP has skyrocketed this year. You know, you're seeing him in super flex drafts go within the top five picks. Usually, you know, def- almost definitely within the top seven. And that's just, that's too rich for me for a quarterback with one year. You know, I've always been more of a wait and see at the quarterback approach. I hang, I hang on to my uh, quarterbacks probably a little bit too, my quarterback takes probably a little bit too long. Um, but after hearing some of those, uh, those, those metrics there, um, you know, and him performing below average in those, I, that, that makes me feel better about my take on him. Now I'm sure you'll get some people who will say, well, you know, look how bad Josh Allen was initially. Cause that's typically the comp you get with Justin Herbert is the Josh Allen, you know, they'll be like, well, look how bad Josh Allen was. And, you know, look at the next step that he took, but Josh, Josh Allen's progression was one of the most um, bizarre and unique instances I have ever seen. And will probably ever see again, comparing any person's progression, Josh or any quarterback's progression, Josh Allen is just unfair. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's, it's a unicorn, you know, and people are going to get caught trying to uh, trying to project another quarterback to take that next step. Um, So I am, I'm, I'm concerned about him as well. Um, The, uh, the quarterback that I think is in line for um, some regression here this coming year is uh, Ryan Tannehill. And there's a couple reasons why I think that Tannehill is in line for some, some fairly, you know, significant regression. And the first one starts off with his touchdowns. Um, you know, he, he threw for 33 touchdowns last year. Uh, the most we had before that in his career was, was 27, but he's only been over 25 once in his career. Um, and Tennessee is just a run heavy team. So they don't produce the volume that you typically see in, quarterbacks that have you know over 30 touchdowns so i'm worried about some regression on that front as well but i'm also worried about some regression from tennessee's offense as a whole uh, you know they were like i said they're, they're always in the top three of of rush rushing percentages uh, but they are also last year you know one of the more efficient teams when it comes when it came to passing the ball um you know their their pass play percentage uh, was bottom three. Uh, it was a uh, 30th. And then if, you know, you look at um, their uh, touchdown, per- their passing touchdown percentage, you know, that was up at 20. Um, you know, when you start looking at their, oh, sorry, that closed that window out. 
uh, their passing yards per game. Um, that was also right around 20. So comparatively to their, you know, like where they are in, as far as like a run pass ratio, their passing efficiency was a little bit higher than, than what you would expect it to be. So, you know, over their last three years, they've thrown for, you know, 155 pass yards per game. And this past year it was up to 224. So I think that's going to regress a little bit as well. So I'm a little bit worried about Tannehill. Um, so I, I probably staying off of him. I don't have him anywhere and they lost their offensive coordinator. I don't have him anywhere either for pretty much the same reasons you laid out. The Tennessee offense is just way, way too efficient currently. And at some point it's going to, I mean, it's going to collapse, right? There's, they are so low in pass attempts, despite having the first, um, red zone conversion rate. I mean, it's, it's very difficult to see that as a sustainable long-term uh, passing success. And I, I think that might trickle down to the other options on the offense. Yeah, I, and I think that's going to trickle down to another some of the other guys on the offense there as well, um, which segues into uh, the running back that I think is going to regress, uh, and that is Derrick Henry. Now, you may think, okay, well, you know, if – their passing efficiency has been too high and they're so run heavy. Why will Derrick Henry be a regression candidate? And Derrick Henry had 378 carries last year. I mean, that's, that's just an absolutely insane number. You know, he was, he was first by, by a wide margin. You know, the next closest year that he had, he had 300 uh, carries the year before that, which, you know, Derrick Henry's as a workhorse. Derrick Henry is, a a unicorn when it comes to the workload that he can handle like it's just in, in the in today's nfl there's not another running back who could handle that kind of workload i still don't think that he can handle 378 carries year in and year out but on top of that he also had his most yards per attempt last year at 5.4 uh he had 5.1 the year before that 4.9 the year before that 4.2 4.5 so that metric, I think that's going to regress back a little bit as well. And he was over 2,000 yards last year. You know, I don't think he's going to hit 2,000 yards again. Um, you know, very few runners are able to hit 2,000 yards rushing, um, especially in back to back years. Uh, and then he also had 31 targets last year, which is his most. Uh, the year before that, he had 24, uh, but then he, he didn't crack 20 any of the other years. Um, so I think that he's probably in line for a little bit of a target decrease. Now his receptions, it may, it, you know, they've hovered around 15, 18, you know, 19 last year. So despite the increase in targets, he only had 19. So his receptions may stay fairly close, but at the same time, you know, with his targets decrease, the odds, his receptions decrease is up there as well. Yeah. I'm right there with you on, uh, Derrick Henry, you know, you can only really have that many touches for so long until something gives. Um, you know, I, I uncovered this when I was doing some research earlier in the offseason, but for players who have two, more than 289 touches, the next season they average a 109 touch drop, which is 32%, and a 533-yard drop, which is also 32%. That's a big that's a big drop on average that you see from high-level producers because – it's hard to sustain that sort of volume. So I, I'm right there with you on that, um, on, on Derrick Henry, at least 
not putting up 2000 yards again. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, like I said, I, I think that, you know, a combination of the attempts and the efficiency led to just an absolutely insane year. And like I said, if anybody can do it, it would be Derek in today's NFL, it would be Derek Henry, but I would be absolutely floored if he was able to do it again. Uh, but who is, uh, who's the running back that you're looking at in line for um, negative aggression here? Easily David Montgomery. Um, he's not explosive. He's not efficient. The team's primary receiving back is coming back. He only faced the stack box 19% of the time, according to play, player profiler. He caught fire at the end of last year. Don't get me wrong. Like his finish was fantastic, but he scored more than 13 points against a top five, top 15 defense once all season. He ended the season against the 20th defense, 19th defense, 30th defense, 32nd defense, and 17th defense. <laughs> <laughs> he beat up on some really bad defenses and he didn't face a lot of stacked boxes. His three yards per carry 47th in the league. He had a 2.4% breakaway run rate. Again, not explosive, very, very, very poor um, uh, burst score according to player profiler again, right? His uh, fantasy points per opportunity 66th in the league. He was only averaging 0.83 points per opportunity. So he's not, a, not only is he not efficient, he's a volume guy. With Tariq Cohen coming back, I question how much of a role there's going to be for Dave Montgomery. And yes, they get to face some of those same defenses this season, but they don't get to face Houston again. They don't get to face Jacksonville again. So I I, I am staying away from David Montgomery. He's a volume play who, when the volume gives way, you've been inefficient, non-athletic, maybe RB2 on a good week. Yeah, I completely agree with that i've been staying away from from david montgomery and it's not that i i hate david montgomery i mean obviously like you touched on there's a lot of reasons why he's bound for regression you know i think he's still gonna see some volume um you know i saw matt Nagy come out and say they wanted to get him 25 touches a game which you know first of all can we believe anything matt Nagy says second of all you know it, it's good to say that uh it's another thing to actually do it and third if, if you're not efficient with those touches you're not going to keep those touches up for long. Um, but I think he's a safe RB2, but that's not the range he's going in. He's going in the range where he's either he's he's a lot of people's first running back. Um, you know, he's going he's going as a top 12 running back. So if you know, if you have him as your RB1, I'm worried. Uh, yeah, 100%. Um so you know, moving into wide receiver here, um well, uh, this this brought up an interesting, you know, uh, an interesting secondary conversation that we can have a little bit after this because we both picked wide receivers from the same team. Um, so I'll kick this one over to you first. Here, who is your uh, wide receiver you think's down for regression? It's Adam Thielen, and this one's fairly obvious. You know, he had an eighteen point two percent touchdown rate. That's extremely unsustainable. First of all. Uh, that's close to like one in every five catches, which just thinking about that, that's a lot. He overperformed in that metric specifically by eight touchdowns. If you consider, you know, about 150, 160 yards per uh, receiving yard to touchdown ratio, that can't really happen again. You know, we have Irv Smith more getting more involved. I like Tyler Conklin. They have a somewhat competent wide receiver three, maybe in Amir Smith-Marset. 
The Vikings ranked only 25th in uh, pass attempts per game. I, I, I don't see how Adam Thielen sustains this level. He was entirely inefficient in every – he hasn't been efficient. He relied heavily on touchdown production. And so that's not a bet I'm willing to make again if the, if he's going under, under 1,000 yards again in 2021. Yeah, the, uh, the the touchdown really touchdown was unsustainable there. I mean, that's just something that you, he hasn't done uh, before, and I don't think we're going to see him do that again. Uh, the the wide receiver that I picked as my uh, regression candidate, it also same team, and this one is this. I don't know. This one might ruffle some feathers here, but my my guy is Justin Jefferson. Um, the first reason is I I don't think he can go up. I think he has to to regress to, to some extent. I mean, he had 1400 yards as a rookie, which is the second most of all time behind fun fact, Bill Gorman of the Houston Oilers from 1960. Uh, his Bill Gorman's second year, he dropped to 1100 yards. Um, Anquan Bolden uh, was number three. He had thir- uh, 1,377 yards as a rookie. Uh, he only had 623 yards the next year, but that was only through 10 games but he still declined by 22 yards per game, uh, which, you know, when you extrapolate that out, leads to a pretty significant drop. Um, and then you had uh, fourth was Randy Moss, who is just an absolute freak. I don't think you can, I don't think, I don't know if we're ever going to see anybody do that again. Uh, he had 1,313 yards in his first year, 1,413 yards in his second year, and 1,473 yards in his third year. I mean, there's a reason why Randy Moss is considered uh, one of the two people who are the top two wide receivers of all time. So 1,400 yards as a rookie, I feel like that has to decrease. But he also had some pretty insane efficiencies. Um, He was seventh in air yards, ninth in air yard share, um, which when you play with another wide receiver, another another player people consider a wide receiver one, um, you know, you can... You could see two guys on that. It's it's rather unlikely. And then, you, like you touched on, they are a little bit more of a run-heavy offense, and they have Tyler Conklin. They have a potentially competent um, third wide receiver in Amir Smith-Marset. So I think you're going to see those two drop. Um, he was also fourth in yards per target, second in yards per route run, and eighth in yards after the catch. Um, these are all according to player profiler as well. Um, probably should have mentioned that. Most of the stats I pull are from player profiler. I think you're the same way, right? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I love player profiler. Um, but yeah, so he was uh, the yards after the catch monster. Um, and I don't think, I, I think that was something he did well in college, but I don't think he's, you know, going to be able to annually sustain a top 10 rate in yards after the catch. Um, you know, I think he can be definitely above league average, but I don't know if I see him hitting the eighth in the eighth in the league in that. And then again, also while being so good after the catch, also having a large number of the air yards, those two just don't really mesh typically. Um, so one of those two is going to give way. I'm not sure which one it is, but I think one of those two is going to give. Yeah. And I, I think the issue, especially when we talk in a dynasty context is he's really dr- being drafted at a ceiling. Yes. I mean, he's being drafted as the first or second wide receiver off the board. The majority of the time, so he has nowhere to go really from a value perspective, but down. Um, so I, I totally agree with you. 
Yeah, I, don't get me wrong. I love Justin Jefferson, and I will absolutely take him in Dynasty Leagues. I believe he's my wide receiver four in my ranks. Um, and, you know, long-term, depending on my team build, because uh, I, I have um, Tyreek Hill and Devontae Adams ahead of him. Um, although Devontae Adams, you know, we'll see what happens with Rodgers, that he could drop a couple spots. But either way, you know, if my team's younger, then yeah, I'll take him as my second wide receiver off the board. But like you said, he's still that that's still taking him at his ceiling. You know, I, I still want to bake into his projection some regression there. And that's why I have not ended up with him anywhere this offseason in any of our startups. I mean, we're in one together right now, and he went in the first round. He was uh the eleventh pick off the board, I believe, right? Yep. Yeah. Yeah, that's just a little bit too rich for me. Uh, but given that we're both projecting the Vikings wide receivers for some regression, doesn't that kind of mean Kirk Cousins has to be a regression candidate as well? So I, you know, I, I thought about this some, I think some of the production is going to be more spread out. And so that will help Cousins at least stabilize, but he's always been so efficient that I don't know if that's the player who he is, or he just had really good luck over the course of his career. Um, he's like NFC North Russell Wilson almost. <laughs> um, he just is such an efficient player, and and being twenty fifth in pass attempt per game last year, he still put up a, a I think QB thirteen season. So, do I think Cousins will regress? Probably, but I still expect him to be you know the QB thirteen to maybe sixteen seventeen range. I think you're going to get a high end QB two out of him, but his efficiency may decline. That yeah. it's, it's probably unsustainable. Yeah. My, my biggest concern with cousins uh, is the touchdowns. I uh, threw 35 touchdown passes last year, which is the most in his career. Um, and he had a 6.8 touchdown per 6.8% touchdown rate, which is also the highest in his career. I think that's likely to drop off a little bit. But I'm also with you in the same aspect where I think he's a very, very safe QB 13, QB 15. If he's my QB 2, I feel very, very good about that. Um, and we'll move into tight ends here. And I'll start off by saying I had a really hard time projecting regression for tight ends. I just I have a hard time figuring out you know, what the, what the share of those offenses are going to look like from tight ends year in and year out. Um, so I do not have anybody for negative regression, but I believe you have somebody on the list here. So I, I do. And I think you spoke to a interesting point of, it's kind of hard to determine which tight ends are going to fall out because there's so much turnover in the position. It's going to be like half more than half of them. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we don't, it, it, it's a hard position to predict and, and it varies a lot season to season. But one guy I think that will definitely uh, at least regress some is Robert Tanyan. So Thielen's TD rate was bad. Don't get me wrong, but Tanyan's was 21.2% on only 52 perceptions and 586 yards. He ranked outside of the top 12 in every single production <laughs> metric except touchdowns. And then he was efficient on a uh, per target, per snap basis, which is great, but he only played over the, over 70% of the snaps once in 16 games. He's not a blocker. He doesn't get on the field very often. He hovers around 60-ish percent of snaps. 
His efficiency is fantastic, but I don't see a world where he can repeat that same efficiency and go up in a volume from a volume perspective. I, I, I don't see it with Robert Tanyan. I think maybe he finishes a top 12 tight end. We're not getting another top four, top five season out of him. He, he's not on the field enough. He, he can only really catch. He can't block. And I, 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 I mean, I'm a big fan of, of baby Kittle, but I don't, I don't think it's happening for, for him again. <laughs> baby Kittle. Nice. I like that. Um, I like that. I think, yeah, I, Robert Tunyon is definitely one that I think is, is bound for regression for all the reasons that you laid out of there. But I, I think you're right. I think you could potentially see him be a back end tight end one this year, but on the weeks where he didn't score, he was virtually unusable for you. Um, you know, he in a, in a PPR league, um, you know, he had uh, 5.5 points in week six, 5.2 weeks or 5.2 points in week seven, 1.3, 6.3, 2.7, 9.8. So he had a lot of weeks under 10 fantasy points. Um, and that's not even counting the zero he put up, the goose egg he put up in week one. Um, where, I mean, he, he came off the, off the waiver wire in every league. If you, if you drafted Robert Tunyon last year, you know, I would love to see that, but you know, so, so that's in the weeks where he doesn't score, he's, he was virtually unusable. So, you know, you're, you're kind of relying on boom bust weeks there and you're trying to stream him against some defenses that, you know, maybe weaker against the tight end. And that's just a game that I have lost more times than I've won when I've tried it. Um, so we'll move into uh, some of the positive regression candidates here. Um, and I like seeing the QB that you have here on yours. Um, he's somebody that I, I, I was considering there as well. Um, so I'll, uh, I'll throw this one over to you first here. Who's the QB that you see having some positive regression? Lamar Jackson. He's, he's such an electric player who has the safest floor of almost any player in the league due to his, due to his rushing. He's going to post between 1,000 and 1,200 yards every year, seven, eight touchdowns every year. Fantastic floor. All he needs is a little bit more passing production, and we get it back in the top five. So he posted, he posted a QB10 season. It's not like we're talking about a guy who wasn't productive for you. But the addition of Rashad Bateman, the addition of Sammy Watkins, but also deploying Hollywood beyond like five yards, right? He can play in that true field-stretching role, which he's really meant to play at his size. It will open a lot of things up. He, he isn't a bad quarterback either in terms of passing. People like to joke about how he's just he's not accurate, and I, I don't know where that comes from. I think it's just, a, it's just a narrative people have been telling themselves for so long they've just tricked themselves into believing it. In 2020, according, this is all according to QB Datamine, who's a fantastic follow on Twitter, by the way. He ranked second on throws at or past the first down line last season at 67.2 accuracy percentage. He also ranks seventh in depth adjusted accuracy percentage at 63.9. And then when you look at passes beyond five yards, he posted the second best accuracy percentage only behind Aaron Rodgers. He's a player who is accurate beyond five yards, intermediate, deep. He can throw, I mean, very deep. He, it, accuracy is a little bit questionable, but he, when you're talking 20, 25 yards, anything within that range is, is within his, he's very accurate. I can't help that he was throwing to Willie Sneed. I can't help that he's throwing to Miles Boykin, who should be a tight end. I can't help that he's throwing to James Crochet and Devin Duvernay. He's they brought in Sammy Watkins, who should be a veteran in that room, but they brought in an excellent player, Rashad Bateman. All he needs is a little positive regression in the passing department. 
because he's a good quarterback to really set him back into the top five. I, I am fully bought in on Lamar Jackson because they're filling his wide receiver room with weapons. Yeah, I I completely agree there too. I like I said, I love that you put Lamar Jackson on there. I think I think you're right. I think that he's an inaccurate passer is a lazy narrative. I think I would be interested to see what his um, passing numbers outside outside the numbers look like because um, that was my always my biggest knock on him. Like you know when he was coming out, um, you know when he was coming out, like you said, it was there was a narrative that he was just an inaccurate passer, and I I didn't see that when I watched him. He's not great outside the numbers, but inside the number, you know, he can, like you said, you know, five yards, 25 yards, like, you know, shallow, deep, intermediate, you know, like you said, very deep gets a little gray, but, you know, that's just more of his like flick of the wrist throwing motion than I think than anything. But, you know, that lends itself to not seeing any issues in, in the short, deep, short, deep and intermediate areas. Um, so, yeah, I, I think that, he's fine. And from an accuracy perspective, they bring in the wide receivers like you touched on. And I think Rashad Bateman is the type of receiver that will mesh very well with him for the, for the reasons that I, I laid out there. Cause I think Rashad Bateman will be able to do a lot of damage over the middle of the field and in the shorter and intermediate areas. Um, I think that, you, and then like you said, it, it lets Hollywood Brown be the true field stretcher. We also saw some regression last year from Mark Andrews, which, you know, was bound to happen. Uh, but Mark Andrews not having to be Baltimore's wide receiver one, you know, and being able to actually serve as a tight end, I think is also going to help too. So I'm I'm all on Lamar Jackson here as well. Um, my QB that I think is in for some positive regression, um, you know, if Austin would uh, Austin would probably kill me just based on his tweet that he he sent out today. Austin would probably disagree, but uh, it's Daniel Jones. Um, I think first and foremost. Daniel Jones threw 11 touchdown passes last year. That's a 2.5% TD rate. It was through 14 games. He threw less touchdown passes through 14 games than Nick Mullins did through 10 games. I don't think that's going to happen again. I think that has to take a step forward. Um, I'm not buying Daniel Jones in dynasty leagues, you know, because I don't think he's long for this league. You know, I think he... He'll get a shot again next year, but I don't know if he's going to keep that job all year next year. I think he'll have it pretty much all year this year because they don't have, really have anybody behind him. But if you're just talking just this next year, he has to take a step forward in the passing touchdowns. Like I, you know, if you put the over under prop at 11, I would bet my life savings on that, assuming no injuries, obviously. But um, he was because he was 19th in pass attempts as well. So 19th in pass attempts and 11 passing touchdowns. Um, but then uh, even just outside of the passing touchdowns, he was seventh in deep ball completion percentage and he does bring in Kenny Galladay this year. I think that's going to help him, you know, in, in the in throwing it deep. I think it's going to help him in the red zone as well. Cause Kenny Galladay was, um, a 16.9% TD rate in 2019, which was number one, um, which was obviously unsustainable. Like, I don't think that's going to happen again, but Kenny Galladay is a good tight end or a good touchdown producer. So that's going to naturally help in the touchdown department. I think it's going to help in the deep ball department as well. And obviously I would be remiss to not use the number one argument for Daniel Jones this year is he gets Barkley back, dude. I don't think that matters quite as much as other people do, but I think that is going to, you know, help take some of the pressure off of him. I think that's going to help, you know, because I, I, nobody would really fear Daniel Jones or anybody 
on the Giants offense last year once Barkley went down. I mean, they were running Wayne Goldman as their RB1. Who Wayne Goldman did an admirable job, but if he's your RB1 in the NFL, you're you're a little bit worried. Yeah. No, I I I'm right there with you. I I'll uh I'll I'll give you the my favorite stat about Daniel Jones is he was the number one graded deep passer last year. Interesting. He was seventh in deep ball completion percentage, even though he was working with scrubs. That makes sense. He is he has a lot of room to improve with Tenny Galladay. I think you're you're right on with that. Yeah, so I think uh, like I said, I'm not buying him in, in Dynasty or anything like that, but for, for next year, I think he's a smash. I think he's going to be a steal if you're a super flex league in, in redrafts. Um, but we'll move into the running backs here. And uh, another guy that I'm happy to see on the list here, um, I'll kick this one over here to you. Yeah, so this is a guy I was really high on and then faded and then came back around on, and it's Clyde edwards Lair. He... Came in hot in terms of a value perspective. You know, he was being propped up to RB1. He probably shouldn't have been at the time with Jonathan Taylor being the much superior prospect. But I think he also got the short end of the stick. He, The Chiefs offense in terms of rushing production was much lower than it had been in terms of, uh, you know, what Patrick Mahomes had been doing since he took over. So Adam Koffler and Jared Smola sh- shared this. But in 2018 they had 13 rushing touchdowns and 37 attempts inside the five, inside the 10. 2019, they had 30 attempts inside the 10 and 13 rushing touchdowns. 2020, it fell down to 22 attempts out of 10 and only eight rushing touchdowns. Getting back to the historical average of what the Patrick Mahomes Chiefs have been doing, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire just sees more, more carries they want to feed him on the goal line. He got goal line carries last year. You know, he converted at a very poor rate, but that's more luck than it is anything else. That's not a sticky sticky statistic in any way. His expectations for touchdowns was much lower than it should have been. He should probably had maybe three or four more. And then adding the Chiefs offense and how they are probably going to, you know, regress towards the mean of where they've been previously. I, I think Clyde Edwards-Hilaire is someone who – is being fairly overlooked right now. Yeah, I think a lot of it has to do with the hype around him. Like you touched on, like he was being unfairly propped up as the running back one um, by a lot of people. And it was just by nature of going to the Chiefs offense where, you know, if you, so if you took him as the RB1, you can't help but feel spurned. You know, when you look around and you see Jonathan Taylor, you know, and the year that he, you know, the way he finished the year and the way that people are projecting him into this next year uh, with um, DeAndre Swift and, you know, the way that people are projecting him moving forward as well. Cam Akers has risen up draft boards, all of, and J.K. Dobbins as well. Now that Mark Ingram's gone, all of these players have jumped Clyde Edwards-Alaire. And then you even throw in Antonio Gibson, who is right on par with him, I think, in a lot of people's rankings, if not a little bit higher. You know, he's now like the RB5, 6 in his class. And if you drafted him as your RB1, you're feeling kind of spurned. But if you look at it objectively, yeah, I think that, you know, he got the touches that you want to see. He got the valuable goal line touches. He also, you know, he gets some receiving work as well there. And they don't really have anybody else. I mean, they brought in Jarek McKinnon. But Jarek McKinnon has not been able to stay healthy in his entire career. Um, they lost Damian Williams. Now he wasn't there at all last year either. 
Um, but they have Darrell Williams, doesn't really inspire much. Um, and then they have um, uh, Darwin Thompson, who people propped up again because he went to the Kansas City offense and then he fell flat on his face because I don't really, I just don't think he's anything special. So, yeah, uh, Clyde Edwards Alaire is a guy that uh, I think is definitely undervalued right now. It's definitely being overlooked. Uh, my guy is um, I, the guy. The guy I'm going to talk about. He's he's a little bit of a duh candidate um, in uh, in Zeke Elliott. And the the biggest reason that Zeke is is a duh is because Zach, Dak is coming back. Um, you know, with Dak coming back, they're going to have a respectable. QB back there. I mean, Andy Dalton was fine, uh, but they have a, with Dak, they have a quarterback that you have to fear. They have all of those wide receiver weapons. That passing game is going to be something that is uh, something that I project to be, I think it's going to be very efficient this year, and I think they're going to put up a lot of passing numbers, and I think that's going to f- lead to Zeke facing less stacked boxes. Um you know, when you when you look at running backs that had more than 150 carries, uh, he was ninth in running backs uh, that faced uh, eight plus men in the box, um, and that was on next gen stats. So, and and he had uh, 244 carries, so he was pretty significantly over that 150 threshold. I just kind of used that to weed out some of like the RB twos, some of the guys who stepped in for injury. So, um, I don't know if silly know if that's the right way to do it. It's kind of an arbitrary number, but um, like I said, you know, ninth out of the running backs have faced eight or eight or more men in the box. And then the other one is uh touchdown department. You know, he, w- he had five touchdowns uh, on 26 goal line carries last year, um, which is well below the rate that he scored at previously. Um, the year before that he had 12 uh, on, out of 18 goal line carries which that's probably a little bit high but still you know five out of 26 you know that's got to come up um oh i'm sorry six out of 26 uh i read that wrong but either way still has to come back up so i think that that with the touchdown coming back up and with the offense in general being more efficient uh i think we're gonna see zeke get back to his you know annual 13 1200 yard rushing ways yeah that offense is gonna smash and everybody and it will <laughs> yeah um, i'm definitely buying pieces of that offense there as well i, I uh, think we might see all-time historical season oh okay and you're not even a cowboys fan not even a cowboys fan <laughs> not even a cowboys fan interesting um yeah i mean i like a lot of those pieces um, but, uh, we'll, we'll kick it over to you for wide receiver here. And this is a guy we touched on a little bit in the opening of the show. So I, uh, I, I love that he's on your list here as well. Picked another winner. Nope. Did we lose so, you there? Alan oh, Robinson is that dude, right? Like he's awesome. Sorry. No, I, I, I was saying Alan Robinson is that dude. He's awesome. There's nothing to dislike about him and his career thus far, except that he's played with awful quarterbacks. That's going to change this year. He's either gets Andy Dalton or he more, more than likely gets a chunk of the season with um, Justin Fields. Last season, he posted 151 targets with no competition. Nobody knew he was coming in. It's going to be the same wide receiver room. Anthony Miller hit a bunch of targets. 
still. Uh, and Darnell Mooney might uptake a little bit, but Darnell Mooney isn't a player who's going to garner a lot of targets. He he's more more used in a, a downfield role. He was fourth in red zone targets, but where he fell off is his touchdowns. So he posted twelve hundred or twelve hundred fifty touch yards and only six touchdowns on a target quality rate of thir- that was thirty sixth in the league. So if he can be more fit, they want to use him in the red zone. They obviously want to target him a bunch. If his target quality rating goes up and he maintains this simil- the same or even like less usage with a better quarterback, I-, I mean, there's no reason to think that he can't have another top three, four season. Yeah, I like I said, I love everything about Allen Robinson. He's somebody that I want to buy up everywhere, um, you know, for – reasons that yeah i mean obviously i like him but like you just touched on you know there's there's room for uh positive regression and you know out of somebody who's already you know an annual wide receiver back end wide receiver one you know he's he hovers in that wide receiver 10 to 15 range you know he can easily jump up into the wide receiver seven wide receiver five somewhere up in there and he's i think he's somebody who's vastly going to outperform where he's being drafted hundred percent. It's really the touchdowns. I think that'll come is where we're looking at some positive regression from him. I think he can maintain similar production and maybe get one or two more touchdowns. If he can get three, I mean, he gets three more touchdowns. I think you're looking at top five wide receiver. I love that. I, I hope so. I have a lot of shares of Robinson. Um, my, uh, my guy is, is similar in that vein where I think we're going to see a nice step forward here in the touchdown department. Uh, and that's uh, Terry McLaurin. Uh, last year, he had uh, four touchdowns on 134 targets. Uh, so he had a 4.5% touchdown rate, which is just pretty, uh, that's pretty significantly below the average there. So I, I think we're going to see him take a nice step there in the touchdown department. Uh, but I also think Washington's offense in general is going to take a step forward in the passing department as well because uh, they just, they they trotted out like a who's who of random trivia questions in you know ten years at quarterback Kyle Allen, uh, Taylor Heineke, and then the ghost of Alex Smith. So they upgrade that in uh, Ryan Fitzpatrick. And I mean, say what you want about Ryan Fitzpatrick, but that's definitely an upgrade. He's also definitely more aggressive. Um, Washington ranked thirtieth in yards per attempt, uh, and that is just absolutely abysmal. And um, Ryan Fitzpatrick and, and Miami, um, Miami was twentieth, and I think that that I, I wish it was. I wish I could kind of break it down by game because I would have loved to see how it started with Fitzpatrick and how it ended with Tua, um, because Tua was not the same quarterback that we saw in college. Tua checked down a lot more, um, so I, I think Miami was likely even higher than that, um, but. It just by virtue of having Ryan Fitzpatrick there, they're going to push the ball downfield a little bit more, which is going to help Terry McLaurin because he, you know, he was first in snap share. He was ninth in targets uh, this past year. And I think, you know, maybe you see a little bit of that decrease. Um, but overall, I think just by virtue of pushing the ball downfield more, he's going to get, he's going to rack up some more yards or at least keep that the same. And then you take the step forward in the touchdown department as well. I think that that's just a recipe for success there for him. Yeah, I, I, I think 
Curtis Samuel joining the offense might also take away a little bit of coverage from him. Right. And he's not the only guy. So I think where a lot of folks are saying, you know, there's going to be more targets to go around. The offense is more efficient and he's going to face at least slightly easier coverage. I mean, that that's probably a net win for him. He was the Sims brothers who I'm not quite sure they're brothers. <laughs> last name was just Sims. Um, I'll go along McLaurin last year. Now you actually have a threat that you have to defend. And, and so I, I, I think I'm not worried about Samuel joining at all. No, I'm not either, because Terry McLaurin was um, 45th in, in slot snaps. I, I mean, he doesn't really play the slot. Um, you know, that, so that's where you're going to see, I think, Curtis Samuel step in. Uh, and, you know, when I was talking about him pushing the ball downfield more, I mean, it, McLaurin was uh, 61st in average target distance. I think that's just going to increase. Um, because like you said, you know, Curtis Samuel's going to draw some coverage from him, but he's also going to, I think he's going to stretch the field more horizontally a little bit because he is a little bit more of a gadget type of a player. So he's going to work that slot. He's going to run a lot of slants, drags, stuff like that. And it's going to bring attention into the middle of the field for him. And then that's going to draw it away from uh, Terry McLaurin there on the outside. So I think Terry McLaurin is a guy who's going to have a really nice year this upcoming year. And he's a guy I wish I had more shares of because I, I only have him in one place. I don't have him anywhere. <laughs> I, I have zero shares of Terry McLaurin. Uh, you can blame it on the analytics, though. That's fair. That's fair. I mean, because, yeah, he was not somebody when, you know, he came out that anybody with an analytics background would have bet on to succeed. Nope. Absolutely not. And he's now, now I'm getting caught. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, he's the one. He's essentially like the one true example that people can point to, to where just analytics missed. Because people like to point out Julian Edelman, but, you know, he was a quarterback. So, that obviously, that, you know, that's that's hard to count. You know, you, it's hard to count that Tyreek Hill, he was a running back, so it's hard to count that too. So, and but Terry McLaurin doesn't even have a top twenty-four season. Is that usually what they use as the threshold? Yeah, he he finished the top twenty-four last year, so it was his first. Okay, he became the first player who drafted at who played wide receiver in college to never have a breakout age to hit for top twenty-four season. And that's a that that's a fairly large sample of players, and so he was the first player in '94 drafted players to do it. So yeah, he's a true outlier. <laughs> yeah. Um, so uh, we'll move into the tight end here, and I'll move this one over to you here first because I actually do have one for this one. Sure. So I like Noah Fant. I like him coming out. I thought he was athletic. I thought he was an excellent player. Uh, he shared time with T.J. Hopkinson at Iowa, but. He was excellent in his own right. Last year, he really suffered from uh, bad touchdown luck. And I think that's a, a theme, right? That's kind of like where a lot of aggression comes in. An excellent season comes from t- high touchdowns. And so he was sixth in yards and targets, but he's tied 23rd in touchdowns with three. Um, at some point, they have to, um, you know, align themselves. And, and Corlin Sutton's coming back. KJ Hamler's there. The offense will be good, and if the offense is good, that'll lend itself to more opportunities for Noah Fant in the red zone. And so, even if there there are more you know players being involved, the increase in efficiency should help Noah Fant, and he should really thrive more. So he's an excellent yak player, right? So you get the ball in his hands. He was the best, second best yak tight end last year. He averaged four point one um, yards for the catch per target. I, I have no worries about his usage because his usage was, usage was fantastic, even though he missed two games. Get him a couple more touchdowns, and we're looking at top five season from no fan. And he's being drafted outside of that range. And I, I think he's somebody you can really 
get late in drafts that'll that has the potential to really pay off because we already know he's a good athlete. We already know he's efficient. We already know he's a good player. All we need is a little bit of touchdown luck. Yeah, I, I love Noah Fant this year as a guy that's flying a little bit under the radar when it comes to that because, like you said, he, he had a really nice year last year, and, and people just kind of tend to forget about that. They want to talk about, uh, you know, Kelsey, Kittle, Waller, obviously big three. You know, Hawkinson, people are hyping him up to have a breakout year. Everybody's all over Kyle Pitts. Um, but Noah Fant's the one who kind of gets forgotten about a little bit in that conversation, and and I've been able to scoop up some Noah Fant at, at pretty nice value there, so I hope he takes a nice step forward there as well, but, you know, I also think that getting Teddy Bridgewater is going to, it, it might not help his overall, you know, air yards or anything like that because Drew Locke did push the ball downfield, but I think it's going to help stabilize that whole offense and just make it a little bit more, predictable it's going to make it a little bit more efficient um because drew lock is just kind of a wild card when it comes to quarterback i don't know what to think about him yeah and uh, bridgewater's average depth uh, you know average depth of of uh, per attempt is low and i think that benefits no fan who who really you know he's tight and he thrives in that range and son's more of a downfield guy a real alpha profile. Judy can work, kind of work intermediate, intermediate, but they don't really have a guy that thrives in that role. And I think no fans kind of unique. Yeah, I, yeah, I agree. And like I said, I, I think Teddy Bridgewater helps him out there too. So, you know, positive touchdown regression and a, an upgrade at quarterback, you know, that's a recipe for success. Um, my, uh, my tight end that I actually have here is uh, Tyler Higby. And I think the biggest thing with Tyler Higby is he burned a lot of people last year. A lot of people, wanted to think he was going to be you know because because we touched on you know tight end is kind of once you hit get outside the top three for sure and then like the top five ish too you know once you get beyond that it's kind of a wasteland so people wanted to prop higby up as the next guy you know as a tight end one as a safe option at the tight end spot because of the way he finished the end of last uh of 2019 um you know Higby at the end of 2019 that year, he, he was seventh in targets at tight end. Um, he's 12th in yards per target. So, you know, he was, he was seeing a lot of volume there, but he also benefited a lot from uh, Gerald Everett being gone. Um, you know, six uh, Tyler Higby in six times in his career has had more than 67 yards receiving and all and five of those six came at the end of 2019 where Gerald Everett was out. Joe Everett was back last year, so he saw, uh, you know, his, his snap share did, uh, Tyler Higby's snap share rose a little bit, um, but he also dropped significantly in targets. He was 21st in targets at the tight end position, um, so, you know, and then his, his route participation as well um, dropped, you know, he was 29th in route participation, um, so, you know, 2020, he kind of had to regress a little bit into 2020 from 2019. I think that was pretty obvious. And I think that a lot of people were split on him where they, there was some people were hyping him up and a lot of analytics people were pumping the brakes and saying, you know, he's bound for regression. I think this year he's going to regress in the other way. Um, because like I said, he did rise in snap percentage, uh, a snap share last year, but Everett is also gone. So Everett is now in Seattle uh, they have Bryson Hopkins, who was, I think, pretty sure he was a fifth-round pick. Um, so it's not anybody 
anybody significant there at tight end. And that offense in general just does not really have a third option in that passing attack. And they bring in Matthew Stafford, who I think is very easily, very easy to say that he's a better quarterback than, uh, you know, Jared Goff. I think he can sustain two wide receivers and a tight end. Um, so obviously, you know, Cook, um, Woods and Cup are going to be like the two main options of that passing attack. People are drafting them as, you know, top, they're drafting them as wide receiver twos. And I think that there's a very real possibility that they stay there. But I think Stafford and that Rams offense in general can sustain a third option at tight end and have a top, have a top 12 tight end. No, I agree with that. They listen, they paid him two years ago to be the guy. So they obviously believe in his ability, both as a blocker and a receiver. So I think now is the, the time we, we see it now that Everett's gone. Yeah. So I'm, I think Higby's a guy that, you know, I've, I've been trying to scoop up in a lot of places because he just, like I said, people seem to be out on him now. And I don't, I, I think now's the time to get back in. Um, but we have some, some honorable mentions here that are up for some positive aggression. And um, one of them is somebody I just mentioned here. Uh, so I'll, I'll throw that one over there to you for Cooper cup. Yeah. I basically, Jared Goff's thing, so Matt Stafford's good. <laughs> I, I mean, it's, it's more complicated than that, right? He underperformed in the touchdown department. Um, the types of routes that he runs and the type of opportunities he gets in the red zone, it makes him a lot more um, – he should have he should have at least had like two or three more touchdowns. So he underperformed from that perspective. And then you get – and he's underperformed for two years in a row. And I, I think he's a guy who can score touchdowns just based on his usage. Add Matt Stafford into the equation. I think that I think there's an outside chance that we could see two top twelve seasons from from both those guys. Woods and interesting. interesting. I like that. Um, I I like Cooper Cup as well. I, I like Robert Woods a little bit more because I think Robert Woods fits what Stafford does a little bit more, whereas Cup fit what Golf did a little bit more. But at the same time, I don't think there's any reason why they can't both be successful. So I love the Cooper Cup call there. Um, the other guys we have on honorable mention there, we have DJ Moore, Robbie Anderson, Evan Ingram. Um, you know, with with Robbie Anderson, I think he kind of came out of of nowhere of sorts. I mean, people were kind of writing him off, and then you know he just seemed to click with with Teddy Bridgewater. Um, you know, he just he, he emerged as essentially the alpha in that room. Um, you know, he finished uh, ahead of DJ Moore and ahead of Curtis Samuel in uh, fantasy points last year you know he had a very nice year but at the same time his touchdowns were low he had three touchdowns so i think that's bound for positive regression like you know we've been that that's like you said that's kind of been the theme here is, is touchdown regression has been swinging it but you know three touchdowns on 136 targets you know that's bound to increase and he only had he had a thousand and ninety six yards I and at 136 targets with Curtis Samuel gone, I don't think there's any reason why he can't at least repeat that. And he has Sam Darnold there as well, uh, who he's already established a rapport with at quarterback. So I think that that um, Robbie Anderson was one that I was I was looking at as a positive regression candidate at wide receiver there before going with Terry McLaurin. Um, with with DJ Moore too, uh, why do you, why I, DJ Moore is the one you had added to the list? But I saw you put maybe. Why do you say maybe for DJ Moore? I'm not sure that he's a touchdown scorer. Like, 
he hasn't been. And I, I know that that's not really sticky, but he doesn't get targeted in the red zone at all. I think he had five targets last year in the red zone. Um, and so I'm worried that he's just not a guy who who can do that and will excel in that. But at the same time, back-to-back seasons of 1,200 yards, I mean, if anything's going to happen, it's going to happen with Sam Darnold. He has had terrible quarterback play. Sam Darnold's a little bit better, and I think he's a little bit more aggressive and willing to target his wide receivers in the end red zone. Teddy Bridgewater has one career, two career games of more than two touchdowns career games. And so there are at least in the last four years. So let me, let me preface that with, 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 um, I, I think he may have done better his first year, but the point is Teddy Bridgewater doesn't throw touchdowns. Sam Darnold can. And so we might see it from DJ Moore. So he's a maybe because the yardage indicates that he should be scoring more. Like he, he just, He's always performing and expect, underperforming and expected touchdowns. I don't know if that's who he is, but I think this year we'll we'll finally maybe we'll be able to see if, if that's just him or it's um, you know the quarterback play. Yeah, I, I agree with that too. I, I like DJ Moore, but you know once you say a couple years in a row, oh he's a prime positive touchdown regression candidate. Uh, th- he's a prime positive touchdown regression candidate. I, th- I think you're right. This is a real prove it year for him. Um, and then we also have Evan Ingram on here as well. And I mean, that kind of ties into, um, you know, a little bit of what I was talking about with the Giants offense there where, you know, Daniel Jones threw for 11 touchdowns. Evan Ingram had one touchdown last year. Daniel Jones, I think, is going to throw for more touchdowns. Evan Ingram is going to have more touchdowns. Uh, again, obviously, another regression can- or a positive regression candidate there. But um, he was one that you had added to the list there. So was there anything besides touchdowns that made you think that Ingram was going to be a positive candidate? He just was top five or six in almost every volume category, air yards, snaps, um, receptions. And he finished outside the top 12. He finished outside the top 15. He was tight end 16. With that much opportunity, I, I think he can come back around and post top 12 season. The only concern I have with him is, is whether or not the coaching staff still believes in him. And there's questions about that. But if they're keeping him around, it, based on his target share last season, I, I mean, I think he could post top 12 season. Even if he regresses some and from a volume perspective, he's bound to just have like a better year overall. He just got very unlucky last year in, in a lot of uh, categories. Yeah. And, and again, you know, a little bit back to what I mentioned with Higby that after tight end, you know, four or five range. It's just kind of a wasteland. So Evan Ingram is somebody who's done it before. So I think he's a safe option to, to have positive aggression there. Um, so I think that is going to do it here for the show tonight. Um, I do want to touch on uh, the expo, the fantasy football expo we mentioned last week. Um, that's coming up here the weekend of the 15th, 14th and 15th. Uh, Mox, I believe you are going to that as well, correct? I will be booking tickets soon. Nice. Looking forward to it. Um, looking forward to meeting everybody for the first time. Looking forward to meeting you in that beautiful mustache and Hawaiian shirt as well. I, you know, if you don't, if you don't keep the mustache and you don't bring the Hawaiian shirt as well, I'm going to be extremely disappointed. One of those two is part of my daily wardrobe. You can guess which. I'm going to go Hawaiian shirt. hundred percent. Nice. <laughs> um, 
Uh, also, uh, you know, check out all of the pods here on the Campus to Canton network uh, or on Campus to Canton.com. You know, Debbie Debate, uh, Fantasy Football Roundtable, Alfred's Why Wait Till Sunday. Uh, you know, they're, they're constantly pumping out some great content there as well. Uh, also, just one note here with this show. Uh, please, if you're listening, you know, download the show here. Uh, we need to show Austin that he is not needed on the show, that, you know, we can uh, we, we can sub him in with mocks. Um, so we want to get those download numbers up because he was giving me a lot of crap uh, about our episodes being a little bit higher on downloads when I was out. So I would very much like to return the favor. So if you're listening, definitely download that here. Um, but I will give Austin one last chance. Are you there? Doesn't sound like it. All right. Well, um, be sure to be on the lookout for our companion show, Campus Life. Uh, that's going to be coming at the beginning of the week. Uh, Austin is tentatively scheduled to be back for that, assuming we don't just give his chair permanently to Mox. Uh, but that's going to do it here for us tonight. As always, I'm Colin. And that's and I'm Mox. Chris. I'm Mox. Sorry. I, I don't or, or, or Chris. Chris works too. I I, Sometimes I have a real first name. You'll forget that's that. That's fine. That's a good point. Yeah, I always call you Mox. Um, yeah, is I've never actually asked. Is it, do you go by Mox? Not professionally. Fair point. Fair point. <laughs> Fair point. Uh, well, I'm Colin, and that was Chris. Thanks for joining here. Like I said, you know, follow him at Chris Moxley19. Uh, that's going to do it for us here tonight.